We're going to continue our study in the book of Galatians tonight, Galatians chapter 5. want to welcome you to our Focus Wednesdays. If you're new here tonight, Focus Wednesdays, what we do is we meet out in the courtyard for some time of community, hanging out, fellowship, and then we come into the sanctuary for a time of worshiping the Lord, and then we dive into His Word. We're currently studying the book of Galatians, and then we break out into discussion groups. That's why our sanctuary is set up with these circles. And so if you're new here, You've never been here before. We want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. And we invite you. You can jump into a discussion group after the sermon or you can head on out, whichever one you're more comfortable with. But tonight we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And our missions pastor, Pastor Rob Nash, wanted me to let you guys know that we do not have a missions prayer card tonight, uh, but we will have two next week. And just to be praying for um, those, those on your cards that you've been receiving the past couple weeks. But tonight we're going to be Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verses 1 through 6. I preached for a very long time last week. It was probably my longest sermon here at Calvary Vista. So this week's going to be maybe a little shorter, okay, which is good. So I'll give you guys some more time in your discussion groups. But Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, let's read God's word together. We'll pray and we'll get into it. Are you all awake? Okay. Good. All right. Let's, we're going to celebrate tonight, you guys. This passage is a passage of celebration. So let's read it together. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. God's word says, stand fast. Everyone say, stand fast. Stand fast, stand fast therefore, in the liberty. Everyone say, liberty. liberty. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Let's pray together once again. Lord Jesus, we thank you like we always do for the freedom to be able to gather together and to worship you this evening. And God, we pray once again that you would take just another Wednesday night and that you would grace us with your presence, that God, you would speak by the power of your word and the demonstration of your spirit, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to apply these truths to our lives. As we look into this liberty, this freedom, Lord, that you have so graciously given and purchased for us, God, we want to rejoice, Lord, in who you are and what you've done and in that freedom that we get to live in today and every day. And Father, I pray for anyone that may be in this room, Lord, that has been living under the law, under the yoke of bondage, as we'll see tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that they would just marvel, Lord, because of what you've done, that we get to live freely with you. God, may that be the case for each one of us. We welcome you here in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. How many of you have heard of the game, Would You Rather? By a show of hands, Would You Rather? Okay, a few of you, all the kids in the back, I love it. Would You Rather is a popular road game right now. You can play in the car, or maybe you're just hanging out with a group of people. And it goes like this, Would You Rather 
eat pancakes for the rest of your life or waffles? How many of you would say pancakes? How many of you would say waffles? Okay. Would you rather, really that's a boring one. They would say, would you rather have to be locked in a room with snakes or locked in a room with spiders? Now that's a really hard one because I absolutely hate both of them. Um, would you rather, you have to pick one of the two. Well here, really the book of Galatians, Paul is asking the churches in Galatia, would you rather live under grace or live under the law? And as we've been seeing for all of the book of Galatians so far, Paul is convincing them and arguing with them, placing this argument that you want to live under God's grace. And he is giving the doctrinal truths of God's grace and how it is to apply to our lives. And so doctrinally, he's been tackling this through Galatians chapters one through three. And in chapter four, as we saw last week, uh, toward the end of chapter four, he got a bit personal. And so he goes from doctrinal, kind of arguing the case of why you would rather live under grace to then getting a bit personal. And now for the remainder of the book, he's going to get very practical. Practically, this is why you would want to choose to live under grace, which is under liberty or freedom. But as we talk practically of what this looks like, we are going to see to live freely, we would have to fight for our freedom. And so that's the title of our message tonight. We're going to see this, the fight for freedom. And we're going to break down our study like this. We're going to see the doctrine of liberty in verse 1, which will be a refresher. Really, it's the main emphasis of the book of Galatians. Then we will see the dangers of the law from verses 2 through 4. And then we will see the defining difference. The defining difference of living under grace or living under the law. We'll see this in verses 5 through 6. So let's look at the doctrine of liberty, which is really the the summary, the climax here of the book of Galatians here in verse 1. I'm going to read it in the New King James once again, and then I'm going to read it in the ESV because I like how it's translated there. In the New King James, as we read, stand fast. Therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The ESV reads it this way. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Here we're going to see that the doctrine of Christian liberty can be summed up in these three words. Number one, set free. Number two, stand firm or stand fast. And number three, submit. So set free, stand firm, submit. Let's talk about set free. There in the ESV, it says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. This really is the whole argument that Paul is giving because of who Jesus is and what he has done. We have been set free. It could be transliterated for freedom, Christ freed you. It's all about freedom. Jesus' entire mission in leaving heaven and coming to this earth was to set the captives free. In fact, remember what Jesus said there in his hometown of Nazareth, in the synagogue in which he grew up in, he gave a sermon and it's recorded in Luke chapter four and he quotes the book of Isaiah and Jesus says these words. There in his hometown in Nazareth, in a synagogue, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the reason in his coming, that he would set us free. This is exciting, church. This is the whole reason. He came on a mission of liberation. What was he liberating us from? Not for for political freedom, but for spiritual freedom. He was liberating us from the bondage of sin and death, which comes from underneath the law. So he comes to set us free from sin and set us free from the power of law. Jesus has come to set us free. This is grace. The point of Christian freedom is that we should be set free from sin, not to sin. Now, this is pivotal to understand, though, because this is the argument that some people get uncomfortable with grace. They say, if we're going to talk about grace all the time, doesn't that give us a license to sin? And Paul would go in and argue there in the book of Romans that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. But then he would say, does grace abound so that sin abounds? Certainly not. The whole point of Jesus setting us free is that he would set us free from sin, not to sin. The book of Romans carries this picture that we were in the slave market of sin. And what Jesus has done is by his blood, he purchased us out of the slave market of sin so that now we could be set free. We've totally been changed. Changes everything. This is the purpose in his coming, that we would be set free from sin, not to sin. You see, grace never minimizes sin, but it does maximize God. It never minimizes sin, but it always maximizes God and how he is greater than sin, that he's able to liberate us from sin. The whole reason in Jesus's coming is that we would be set free from sin, not to sin. And in the same way, the point of Christian freedom is that we would be set free from the power of law, not to be under the law. See, it's under the power of the law. Paul would say in the book of Romans that it's by the law that I find out I'm a sinner. But what does the law do? The law condemns me. And so in what Jesus did is he came and he fulfilled the law. He who knew no sin became sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. And so his coming was to liberate us was to liberate us from the power of sin and from the power of death and from the power of the law. This was the reason he has come to set us free. And there are those words in verse one where we read that Christ has made us free. That is in the perfect tense or the single past tense in which it was a single past action. That Jesus freeing us or liberating us, it was a one-time deal. It's not something that he has to do all the time. It was a one-time legal action, a transaction, so to speak, in which he purchased us from that slave market of sin to be free. It was a one-time deal. He has set us free. It's a past tense is what he's saying. It was a one-time thing that Jesus did. When did he do it? He did it when he cried from the cross. It is finished. Paid in full. Jesus has set us free. He set us free from sin and he set us free from the power of the law. 
And spiritually speaking, there is no one that can legally take away your freedom in Christ. No one can take away the spiritual freedom that you have in Christ. It was a one-time thing. It cannot be undone. You have been made free. You have been set free. This is the good news of the gospel. This is grace. It is something to rejoice in. So legally, our freedom in Christ cannot be taken away. But as we're going to see here, practically, we can lose it or practically, more accurately, we can give it up. I'm not talking about eternal salvation here. I'm talking about living in the freedom. Living in the joy of our freedom. Practically speaking, legally, we've been made set free. It's done. But practically speaking, we can give it up. We can give it away. We can fall into deception that we have to earn our way back to God's approval and his blessing. In fact, this was the whole point of the book of Galatians. Because as we've seen time and time again, to give you guys the context, to remind you, is that as Paul would go in and preach the gospel, this group would come in, the Judaizers, and they would say that Jesus is enough to get you started, but not enough to see you through. That now it's up to you. You've got to show God who you are, what you can do, how spiritual you are. You got to finish out the race in your own effort, in your own strength, in your own righteousness. This is what you need to do. And we saw last week, I made reference, that this idea to trust in ourselves, to rely on our own strength, this is our default. And what I mean by that is grace doesn't come naturally. And so that's why when we see the doctrine of Christian liberty, it's a done deal. We've been set free. But practically, that's why Paul says here, we need to stand firm. We need to stand fast in our freedom. This term here, to stand fast, is actually a military term that means to keep alert or to persevere. This word is in the perfect tense, which suggests a continual call to stand firm. We have to continually stand firm in the freedom in which Christ has given us. We have to be constantly reminding ourselves of God's grace. We must be standing in that position and reminding and standing firm in our liberty. Otherwise, we will be deceived or deceive ourselves like the Galatians, that it's now up to us to finish it off. It's now up to us again to earn our way back into God's blessing and into a life of fulfillment and flourishing. Man, it's because I'm not doing something. So we have to stand firm in our liberty, to stand firm in the grace in which Jesus extends to us. The default of the human condition truly is to feel as if we need to prove ourselves and to prove our self-worth to God. So Paul says, practically, you are going to need to stand firm. 
Have you noticed that all our messages through the book of Galatians have kind of been similar? It's kind of the same thing over and over again. Paul's repeating himself over and over again. Why? Because it's that important. We need the reminder that we have been set free, that we're in relationship with God on the basis of grace, not by works. And so we have to stand firm in that liberty. We have to stand firm in that grace that he extends to us. We are standing firm and we are resisting the bondage of sin, which is our rebellious behavior. And we are standing firm in resisting the bondage of law, which is religious behavior. So as a Christian, to fully experience or to live really in that experience, that Christian freedom, the reasoning behind him setting us free, we have to stand firm when the bondage of sin comes knocking and to be reminded that, hey, I don't have to answer to you anymore. And then when the bondage of religion or the legalism that we've been talking about last week, the legalistic behaviors of I need to prove myself to God on the basis of my spirituality, when those thoughts or those ideas or that deceit comes to us, we also have to stand firm against those both thoughts that going off into licentious behavior or rebellious behavior or going off into religious and legalistic behavior, we have to stand firm against both in what? Under grace in the freedom in which Jesus has given us for freedom Christ has set us free. So in Christian liberty, we've been set free, done deal because of the work of Jesus. Yet practically speaking, we must stand firm and stand fast in this freedom. And the key to it all is deciding who we're going to submit to. Notice there at the end of verse one, he says, do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The ESV reads it. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Ultimately, practically, Christian freedom comes to who are you going to submit to? Who are you going to submit to? Are you going to submit to the law? That's the context that he's speaking here. To some, are you going to submit to your sinful desires? Or are you going to submit to the Lord? Are you going to submit to the Spirit? Paul is saying, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery because if we do... If we go back under the law, we're just as enslaved as we were before. Just as we saw last week. We're going back. We're putting back on the chains. We're becoming slaves once again. So the question is, who are we going to submit to? We have to choose our master. As we walk through this Christian life, are we going to live and listen to the law or the Lord? Which one is it going to be? Who are we going to submit ourselves underneath? Choosing the law is to live under a yoke of slavery and ultimately it's trusting in yourself. But to choose the Lord, to submit to the Lord is to live under a yoke of grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Which one's better? Well, it's pretty clear. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus 
from the law of sin and death. Which one do you want to submit under? The one of law that's going to bring condemnation and guilt and death? Or are we going to submit under the law of the Spirit? Are we going to submit under grace? Are we going to submit under Jesus and experience no condemnation, experience life, the abundant life that he has for us? This here is a doctrine of Christian liberty summed up. Set free, done deal. Practically speaking, though, we have to stand firm in God's grace and in our liberty. And the key to doing that is submitting unto the Lord. And he will then strengthen you and give you the power to stand firm and stand fast. For the Spirit of God will constantly be enabling you and empowering you by his grace. So, Christian liberty... The doctrines of Christian liberty. Now, as we consider fighting for our freedom or fighting to remain here in our freedom, for Jesus has already fought for it. He's won the battle, but now he's won the war. But now here we are. We have to stand firm in it. Now we're going to see once again the dangers of the law. The dangers of the law. Quickly, let's see here from verses two through four. Indeed, I, Paul, say that if you become circumcised, What he's saying here, if you become circumcised, if you go through this rite of passage, circumcision is what the Judaizers were saying. This is what you need to do to put yourself under the law to prove to God that you're really seriously about following him. And here, circumcision isn't the temptation for us to go under the law. So it might read differently to us. He says... Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised to us, it might might be that he's saying if you choose to become under the law and trusting in yourselves, whether that be by church attendance, whether that be by moral perfection, whether that be by not doing this particular sin and checking it off on this day on the calendar and that day on the calendar and that day on the calendar. Look how well I'm doing. I haven't done this since then. Whatever it may be, whatever's trusting in yourself, Paul's saying that Christ will profit you nothing. If you go back to being under the law and trusting in yourself, then Christ profits you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised or puts yourself under the law that he, that person, is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have been estranged or cut off from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen by grace. Paul's making it really clear. If you're going there, practically speaking, if you're going to choose to put yourself under the law and the rite of passage is going through circumcision, then you're going to lose out. What are you going to lose out? You're going to lose your identity. Here he says that if you choose to trust in yourself or to be justified by the law, then Christ will profit you nothing. In other words, Christ is of no value to you. And let me ask you this. If Christ is of no value to us, then who are we? If we're going to trust in ourselves and put ourselves back under the law, Paul's saying, Jesus has no value to us, then that means who are we? As Aaron powerfully shared there at the beginning of Galatians chapter 4, we've been adopted in as sons and daughters. We've been given full inheritance. We get access to the heavenly riches in Christ. Well, if we begin to trust ourselves, none of that profits us anything. 
we literally are losing and giving up our identity. And when we do this, we ask ourselves, who then even are we? Commentating on this, Tim Keller says this, if, if you choose to put yourself back under the law, if Christ has no value to you, then you will fall into touchiness, insecurity, pride, discouragement, and weariness of people who are never sure that they have worth. In other words, rather, it's going back into kind of our message this last Sunday, rather than fearing the Lord and being confident in who we are in Him, by putting ourselves back under the law and trusting in ourselves, we begin to prove ourselves, not only to God, but to other people, to prove our spirituality. And it results in touchiness, insecurity, pride, and ultimately never feeling like we are enough. We lose our identity completely. Christ will profit you nothing. The second thing that we lose is we lose our liberty. It's the whole point of the book of Galatians. Paul says it this way, we become a debtor to keep the whole law. If you're going to live under the law, you got to live up to all of it. If that's how you're, we are going to relate to the law, then we literally have to attain to moral perfection. You have to keep the whole law. So now you're going from liberty to bondage. You're going backward from son to slave. And you're going from rich in your inheritance to now you're a debtor and bankrupt again. You're bankrupt again. Because we, if we have to live under the law and live up to the law. It doesn't matter how good we are. We're not good enough. Jesus says it this way to the Pharisees, to the legalists of his day, to those that were literally living under the law. He says, as that sinful woman comes into their midst at Simon the Pharisee's house and she's worshiping Jesus, he says to them, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him more? The whole point is that it doesn't matter what you do. If you're trying to live under the law to get to God, doesn't matter if you have a lot of debt or a little bit, little bit of debt, you will have debt and it's a debt you cannot pay you're now a debtor and you're spiritually bankrupt. So you're going from a full inheritance to literally nothing. So what do we do? We're losing our identity when we go under the law. We're losing our liberty and we're losing security. For he says we'd be cut off or estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen by grace. Grace is what connects us and secures us to Jesus. Grace is what connects us and secures us to God. Grace secures our right standing with God. So if we're cut off from grace, we've cut off from Christ and we've fallen from grace, then that means we have no security at all. That's not a fun way to live. Just as we saw this last Sunday in looking in the life of Jacob. We fall into insecurity. We fall full of guilt. We're fallen from grace. And we've lost our identity. We've lost our liberty. We've lost our security. This is what it means. Which one would you rather live under? Grace or the law? 
Practically speaking, this is what it would look like. Now, don't get me wrong. The law still has validity in our life. It still has value to us. Because what it does is it shows us the areas in our life. It's a tutor to show us the areas of our life in which Jesus wants to transform. Spurgeon says it this way. He says, the law, law is the road which guides us, but not the road which drives us, nor the spirit which activates us or actuates us. It doesn't give any life in other words. And so the law has purpose. It it gives us guidance and direction because it shows us the will of the Father or the heart of the Father, but it has no power to give us life whatsoever. So why would you want to live under the law if it's going to lead to death? Wouldn't you want to live under grace? Practically speaking, this is what he is saying here. And finally, we come to the defining difference then. Which one do we want to live under? Which would you rather? The defining difference here in verses 5 through 6. Let's read them again. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Let's define the difference here between living under the law and living under grace. It's the difference between self and spirit. Are we going to rely on ourself or are we going to rely on, rely on the Holy Spirit? Verse 5 says, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait. The Spirit gives us security. The Spirit is with us and in us. See, living under the law makes us strive for righteousness but to live under grace is to have the spirit of righteousness in us reminding us that we are going to wait for total righteousness what that means here is what Paul is bringing up is because of what the spirit has done in us because we've been justified or declared righteous by grace the justification that the spirit brings and the spirit living in us is a reminder that one day we will step into glory in which the sin that easily ensnares us the presence of sin that we still struggle with will one day be eradicated and we will be totally completely liberated because of the spirit and relying on the spirit the spirit reminds us of this great truth this is what it means to live under grace it's the difference between relying on the self or the spirit what does the self do It reminds us that, man, there's no hope in this. We're hopeless. Like, am I ever going to make it? This is the case for Mormons. For those Jehovah's Witness. My wife grew up as a Jehovah Witness. And she knew at a young age, I'm never going to make it. There's only 144,000 that are. So why should I even try? I'm not going to make it. There's no hope in it. It's hopelessness. And so when we live and we're trusting in ourselves... There's no security there, but man, there's no hope there. But what does the Spirit do? The Spirit of grace, the Spirit, when we're born again, now lives within us and it reminds us that one day we're going to be totally eradicated from this body of death, this body of sin. We're going to step into glory, not because of anything we could do, but because everything that Jesus has done. So... The defining difference is the difference between living according to ourself or according to the spirit. It's the difference between living according to the flesh over faith versus faith. 
For justification by faith guarantees glorification. The moment that we surrender to Christ and God comes into our life and we are born again and we are justified, we are declared righteous by grace through faith. In that moment, in the eyes of Jesus, we've already been glorified as well. Jesus sees us as if we're glorified. Justification by faith guarantees glorification, but living according to the flesh doesn't. Living living according to the flesh is, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know how God views me right now. I I don't know if he's going to strike me down in lightning this one moment or bless me in another moment. When we're relying on our flesh, there's no assurance, there's no hope. But justification by faith, it guarantees glorification. The Spirit eagerly waits for the hope of righteousness by faith. It's by faith, persuaded by how good God is and what God has done, that we know, we eagerly await with confidence that one day we will step into glory. Not based on what we do, but because of what Jesus has done. And lastly, the difference between living under the law and living under grace is the difference between being motivated by, motivated by the law and motivated by love. Look there in our final verse, in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. If you're motivated to get to God by what you do, by the law, it's going to bring death. But when we have been so radically changed by God's grace and the Spirit of God is now in us, that will result to faith working through love. Now to obey God isn't motivated by the law, but obedience is motivated by love. What did Jesus tell the disciples? If you love me, keep my commandments. He did not say, if you want to get to heaven, keep my commandments. If you want eternal security, keep my commandments. If you want this, keep my commandments. So he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. True grace in which we know that we love God because he first loved us. When the love of God changes and transforms us from the inside out and we're given a new nature, now we will have a desire to want to obey and live for God. Now, true faith will now work itself out through love. This is what it looks like to live under grace. So, The religious are motivated by the law. True Christianity is motivated by love because Christ first loved us. Let's wrap this all up. I want to read to you Romans chapter 8, verse 13 and 23 in closing. It says this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Here I want to ask you this question in closing. What do you do in moments of failure? Moral failure. When you mess up, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
When you mess up, what sinks into your heart? Is it guilt and condemnation? Or is it a desire to God, I want to change I want you to have that area in me. Is there a confidence that God still loves you and a desire to live for him? The book of Romans here says that to live according to the flesh, you'll die. When that that guilt and condemnation comes in, it's going to choke you out. But to live under grace is to be reminded that the spirit will put to death the deeds of your body. And when you fail, when you mess up, when you fall short... It does not change the fact that we eagerly wait, are waiting for the adoption or the redemption of our body. What he's referring there to is our glorification. Our failure doesn't change the fact that one day we're going to be completely glorified. So which one? What do you do with failure? And which would you rather? Would you rather live under the law or live under grace? Your response to failure might show you which one you're living under. We're going to talk about that in our discussion groups. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this great liberty and this freedom that we have in you. That we don't have to answer to sin and we don't have to get beat up by the law. But that we get to live under a new master, a gracious master who empowers and enables us to live for you. Father, we cannot even imagine and fully comprehend how good your grace is. But God, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would give us a greater and greater understanding and appreciation for who you are and what you've done. And I pray, Father, if there is anyone in here that, Lord, you would be revealing by your spirit that they are living under the law. I pray, God, that you would awaken that in them And that, Father, that they would choose each and every day to pick up their cross and follow you. That they would choose to submit under you instead and realizing that it's in you that we have that abundant life. Father, would we be a people once again that are so confident and rooted and grounded in your love that you would make an impact in us and through us to the people around us. God, we give you this time during our discussion groups. We invite you here once again. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.